so I gotta be this a little weird, like I am just envisioning like 50 iPhones right now. Because that's what life has been like for the past four or five months, speaking into a little three by three phone. Um, very, very glad that you all joined us today. Actually, pretty pleasantly surprised. It's just, you know, things are not as normal as they should be in the world. But uh, we really felt like this was the right time to begin moving forward with the restoration uh, vision. So I'm pretty ecstatic to see uh, so many faces here this morning. And certainly, I'll only mention one thing about this, but we certainly want to continue to keep in mind those of our body that, for whatever reasons, might uh, at this point still be uncomfortable gathering. But there is sort of a plan I'm going to lay out here for us at the end of our time this morning. I don't want to open with that, but just keep in mind that we will continue to give you information as far as where we're going and what we're doing. But for the next three weeks, we're going we're gonna to be here. And so we're going to experience the creek without chili. I don't know how to do this. I think we have, have a bunch of chili going on and uh, highly, highly competitive. I was actually, I almost brought the chili. You know? For those of you that don't know, we have a coveted chili plaque that we spend up, that pass around to those who win. And I got to thinking, this year I won the chili football, and then we literally didn't see each other for four months. And I was so prideful that I was about to break it today and remind you that I am the official 2019 winner. Today we're going to do some things a little different. Actually, for the next three weeks, we're going to do things different. Because I don't want to act like the last four to five months did not happen. It's very likely just from talking to all of you and the folks that are not even here, in some shape, way, form, or fashion, life has been disrupted. Some, some ways good, some ways maybe not so good. And so what we wanted to do over these next weeks is sort of consider this what I call a bit of a homecoming time. A time for reconnection, a time to think about where we've been and what we're doing, a time to be a little more dialogical. What I mean by that is, you know, typically with preaching, which I, I love doing, what happens is, is you know you come and it's it's a highly it's participatory, no doubt. But you are on the receiving end. You're hearing music and singing, uh, you're you're teaching, all of this is sort of coming to you. And that's wonderful. And then we try to unpack this stuff throughout the week with community groups. But what we want to do for the next couple of weeks is actually hybridize these two ideas. And that is to create a space where I'm not only talking and teaching Abe and you know, there's you know, various folks from our worship team that we're not up here today just because we're trying to keep things simple as we get moving. Yeah. But I, I want to uh, invite you to participate in the things that we're going to talk about. And so we're going to talk about Genesis 12 here in a couple of minutes. But I really want you to think about some of the questions that I'm going to throw out today. And I want to encourage you to do something that we don't often get to do in a Sunday morning gathering. And that is to communicate back to uh, the front of the room. Just so you know, when we do sort of set up shop officially, uh, it's actually my hope that we create a small space at the back end of every gathering to have some live Q&A from the audience. This way, you can actually engage, uh, not just off-site, but actually on-site with the things that we teach. Because, as you know, we live in a world, uh, even in the Christian community, there can be uh, variations of how people understand or see truths in Scripture. And one of the things that I've loved most about our church is our willingness to sort of boldly proclaim that uh, skeptics are welcome. Simply meaning, we don't expect you to agree with every single thing we say up here. Part of the discipleship journey is that we get to communicate and work through these things together. And so, I really believe, as, as challenging as the past months have been, that God has sort of thrown our church a bit of a softball um, to move us ahead. If you were to ask me in, in January, uh, like what, where we were going and the things that I would have loved to have seen our church do, 
our sort of vision strategy for the next couple of years. It's been amazing to me to watch uh, all of this craziness really be used for something that's incredibly good. So, with that said, I want to throw out some questions this morning, and I want to encourage you, you're not forced to, but I want to encourage you to think about answering them, throwing some dialogue out, and we'll work through a couple of things, and then we will talk briefly about Genesis 12, 1 through 2, and that's for a very fitting reason. It's a foundational verse that sort of birthed our church, and at this sort of second epoch as we're about to enter it, I think it's pretty amazing to think about the fact that we are, we're almost at a new, at a new birth with our church as far as what the next month's look like. So I'm going to throw this question out to you first, and you may answer it however you feel. How have the last few months been for you? Boring. Boring. <laughs> Okay. okay. Challenging. Challenging. Okay. Boring and challenging. <laughs> what? What do you mean boring? Can't go anywhere. Can't see our friends. Okay. So complete social disruption, right? As humans, we're built to be in relationships, and obviously, when we are without them. There, uh, you know, there is the random person who absolutely never wants to be around people, and they're either a person that lives in a cabin in the woods by themselves or a coming serial killer. But for the, for the most part, we all enjoy being around people, right? So, absolutely, social disruption and challenging. Her challenging. What made some of these past months so so challenging? So just the, the, the very common things we take for granted, like shaking a hand or being able to hug uh, to hug a loved one. Being trapped in a house with your family. Being stuck in your house with a family. The bishop is green, just smack off me, right? Yeah. There's a lot of The same scenery is having to having to get everything you know broadcasting from our home 
office and then today trying to figure out how to you know, safely and responsibly uh, move forward with life as we know it. So I think for work and school, there definitely is not just going to be uh, challenges, but there's probably going to be challenges for quite, uh, for quite some time about getting back to normal. Let me give you a great example of this. So, uh, you know, the, the movie theater industry is one of the hardest hit industries on earth because it, um, you know, very much like a church, it's a group of people that sit together in an enclosed room. And, you know, we have been meeting in a movie theater for the better part of 10 years, and we have very stellar relationships with the uh, general management there and the corporate management. And, you know, they're unable to open. Uh, they want to open, but they can't open because nobody actually is releasing any, any films to the theater. So, you know, some people that are trying to get normal, you have some of the Facebook live people. Believe it or not, we're broadcasting here technically, so uh, so you have you have that going on where you have people that want to get back to normal but can't. The challenge is too significant. So the only reason why I wanted to bring this up is just to highlight that every one of us and the people in our spheres of influence have likely had great things happen over the past months and some challenging things happen. And so my next question to you is, how have you seen? How have you sensed? whether this is in your own life or experiencing it in other people's lives, how have you seen God work through some of the disruption? Uh, you could be as transparent as you want in your own life, uh, or you can share a story uh, of maybe a place where you've seen God do something uh, great. And I'll, I'll give you, I'll leave with this, just because it is a question that is a little bit vulnerable. One of the things that has been most striking to me about looking at the church in America and globally, and especially having been able to observe the church in many locales in other countries, seeing the different dynamics, having friends all around the world who are church planning and leading bodies. One of the things that has been most interesting is, is how highly disrupted the church body has been over the past five months. And so for us, the Sunday gathering is, is essential. In fact, in some ways, I think what's going to happen is God is going to counterbalance a little bit, maybe some of the idolatry that we have applied to, to Sunday morning. Uh, I'm not saying Sunday morning is a bad thing. We love Sundays. We're obviously here trying to get them going again. But I wonder if there is some way God is counterbalancing the reality that the other 6.9 days of the week where we're not gathered like this are equally as important. We are just worshiping God in a very different way, in lifestyle worship, as Romans would say. So I think it's pretty substantial. Uh, I was thinking a lot about the churches that, that are living in areas where there's significant persecution, where, where uh, you know, Doug mentioned a moment ago, freedom, where there's, there's absolutely no, they can't gather like this because there is legitimate risk of harm or death uh, or imprisonment. And we see that in a lot of places. So the church in America, I think, might have gotten a subtle, nonetheless, subtle, a subtle taste of what it might be like for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and deal with this on a, on a daily basis. They, they can't gather like we do because of the fact that they're in, uh, they're in areas where it is very, very dangerous. So that's been quite moving to me, is not uh, learning not to take for granted any of the gathering opportunities that we have. It's made them more meaningful to me. What about you guys? What are some ways you've seen God work through the disruption? So more uh, personal contact through phone.
here in your answers, a less, less digital relationship and, and trying to move towards more, as, as close to normal relationships as we can, whether that means making a phone call as opposed to texting or emailing, trying to do something that mediates the, the ground between uh, wanting to be around people So it's had an effect on relationships, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, okay? In a good way. I see on social media uh, a lot more people wanting to bring God back into the picture. Okay. Uh, a lot of people are on there about uh, God and relationship to the world and, uh, and social media. A lot of people are more outspoken about it than they were four or five months ago. Okay. So in case you didn't hear that, there's, there's been sort of a renewed presence. Of, uh, anytime the struggle of crises in culture, there does tend to be a, an overwhelming cry from, um, from God's people. Some, some of those cries are very powerful and impactful. Um, some of them can be quite crazy. I'm sure you've read both, both of them on Facebook. But one way or another, I think you're spot on, Dennis. One of the amazing things about this time is that uh, the idea of our faith, or faith in general, is brought into the forefront of our culture. What that means is one of the good things God can bring out of a very difficult situation is, is what is perhaps a, a greater opportunity to discuss life and faith. Because people do have questions, the who's, the what's, the when's, the where's, and the why's. And as Christians, we feel really should be able to give an account of what we believe, as Paul says. So increased dialogue in the community, whether that's through social media or just relationships, definitely one of the positive things I think that has happened over these past and same thing with the news media. Same kind of concept as Facebook. The news media is um, like covering stories about churches not being able to meet. And the churches are trying to rally to try to say, why can't we meet when there's people protesting and thousands and thousands on streets. And sure. So you saw, you saw a lot of that in the TV media where they're broadcast or like, you know, broadcasting about churches and yes. all that. So uh, in case you didn't yeah. catch that, it's sort of the, the reality of some of the bias that media channels can have. Most of the stories that I've seen about churches on the news were, you know, a handful of them that had gatherings very early and, and, uh, and the coronavirus spread. Actually, it was an interesting New York Times article want this, you can just let me know, I'll send it to you. Uh, it talked about uh, a church that had uh, massively California contributed to the corona uh, issue. Simply meaning there were about 650 people that gathered and 50 tested uh, positive. Now, I'm not trying to weigh in on when they, what they did. I just want to weigh in on what you're saying regarding how this was perceived. So, the article wrote up, wrote up this whole thing about how this church cataclysmically spread corona. What I find interesting is that there was a rebuttal from a gentleman named Ed Stetzer. If you don't know who he is, he's well worth reading. He's a pretty uh, intellectual and well-reasoned Christian who's on the forefront of mission. And what he did is he took this article and he compared, not, not that 50 cases is bad, but it's a good thing. Don't hear me saying that. But he took this one sort of perspective about how this church was highlighted for, for creating 50 cases uh, and compared it to the national narrative of what was going on. And it sort of was a bit of a, of a philosophical oxymoron in the sense that, uh, granted, 
I, you know my position on this. We did not physically meet for a while until we thought it was better, better in terms of the state. But there have absolutely been uh, really irrational and extreme disruptions that have been created by this. And some of these things, rather than talking about where there's unity or peace or maybe what churches have done really incredible things in their community, uh, what I've noticed is the majority of what's put on the on the media are very selective. Uh, they're small examples of, of, of maybe unwise decisions, but they don't necessarily put forward things that, that talk about some of the positive realities that have come out of this. So I do think whether we like it or not, this issue has further divided our country, and in some ways maybe even the Christian uh, community, which is one of the things I'm most thankful about for our church, that um, we, we've not experienced any uh, of this division, and we want to make sure that we keep Jesus as king, not any of the uh, external inputs in our lives that try to shape our minds. So, what else? What, uh, what, what other opportunities have you seen, observed, about God working in your life or in the world over these past months? Observation in our neighborhood where there is no faith, there is fear, and 
So, yeah, so here's an interesting statement about um, an inserted rhythm into our life was an exposure of fear, right? There has been, there has been a lot of fear. And in, in some ways, maybe just tying some of these things together, when you begin looking at uh, the national narrative, really, there, there can be a bit of a fear mongering that is brought out of this, you know? So those types of stories tend, tend to, uh, to sell. And I don't know if you all remember, but the first declaration we made from the front of the room and, and from our website uh, came from uh, Timothy. And we were talking about Paul's writings, that God has not given us a spirit of fear or, or, or timidity is what the Bible literally says. Like, he's given us a, a, a spirit of, of love and of sound mind and, and of discipline. And so I think, Doug, what you're saying is really, is really valid. That uh, I think for a lot of us, especially those of us following Jesus, this really was a challenge to the mind and, and the heart. And there are definitely some precautions, no doubt, that we need to be mindful of. But for, for some of us, this struggle did likely expose certain fears. And typically when there is fear, there is some form of, it's usually a very benevolent, but nonetheless a benevolent mistrust of Jesus. I'm not arguing for being irrational in any way, but I am saying uh, fear has dominated the headlines for quite, for quite some time. And as believers, there's a lot of scriptural teaching on fear and the role that it plays in our lives and the role that it shouldn't play in our lives. So uh, maybe for some of us, this was an opportunity to see just how deeply we not only use the wisdom God gave us to navigate this time, but whether or not we really were you know, paralytically sort of crippled by fear. And there's been an awful lot of that. And this is a good segue about a, a particular theme of scripture, fear. I'm curious if any, any teachings from the Bible, any verses, has there been something that, that God has spoken to you about over these past weeks and months? Have there been uh, particular teachings, whether they were, you know, stuff we delivered to you from the front of my house or just in your personal time with Christ? Any, any scriptural truths that really were impressed upon your heart by the Spirit over these past months? How has God sort of protected your heart and, and equipped your mind with this truth? Curious to know what, if any, verses, teachings, have really meant something to you during this time. That he'll never forsake us. Okay. What a, what a profound verse taught all throughout both, both Testaments at a time when isolation is at an all-time high. God speaks to you about never being alone or being forsaken. The presence of Jesus is with us. If we're on an island by ourselves in the middle of nowhere, we are indwelled by the power of the Spirit. That's a, that's a profound truth. Uh, there really can be no loneliness in the Christian faith unless we seek defeat to that uh, idea. I'm not at all trying to be, you know, kind of... There's no bravado here in the sense that uh, loneliness is not something we struggle with, but... Perhaps this is a time where we can really recognize what it means when Jesus promises that his presence is with us forever in this life and the next. Amazing insight. What else? What other truths, teachings have stood out to you? I think that God is sovereign. And while you take precautions, you also realize your life is in the hands from the beginning to the end of Jesus. Yes. So finding a, a, a very healthy balance between 
trusting our life with God and being responsible citizens, right? Absolutely. This is one of the things I love most about our church is that there really is a lot of this DNA in, in our lives. And the trust side allows us to function without paralytic fear. But wisdom also says we should use our minds, our God-given minds, to, to be able to navigate what is going on in our world. And so, uh, absolutely, there is a, a compatibilist balance all throughout the scripture in the way that we, we really can wholly trust in God for everything. But part of the way we trust in God is by living our lives in a way that, that is grounded in truth and, and wisdom. So, yeah, this, this has likely been a great opportunity for some of us to to rest in Jesus during these times and, and to trust him for what is likely for you know, provision, uh, physical illnesses, all kinds of the normalities of life that are challenged for a lot of folks. And these are typically places where, where people really do tend to turn to something uh, that they believe is greater than themselves to hope. And obviously in our faith, um, we believe that that is not a thing, it's a person who's in this Christ. Absolutely. Any other, any other verses? Yes. Well, I can never remember verses, which, you know, is kind of making me happy. But anyway, <laughs> um, I think we all had to develop that muscle of discernment, you know, because we live in times that are filled with deception anyway. But everything that you ever heard on the news about this whole pirate thing, all of it was contradictory. And it behooves us as Christians Absolutely. So, the, uh, in case you didn't get to the other side of the room, the, this idea of uh, biblical discernment, which is the ability to sense where there is truth and, and falsehood. Uh, this is the reason we we deeply believe in our, our discipleship pathway as a church, gospel community and mission, truth with each other for the sake of the mission. And so we have to be able to, by our understanding of scripture, our accountability to each other and the way we, we sort of process this stuff, uh, and the way we live it in the mission, being able to discern is a very, very important tool. It's a tool that the Spirit gives us. It's a, it's a gift that the Spirit gives us. And it's, I like to describe discernment as like a, think about an unsharpened axe. Every person who is, who is in Jesus, we, we know that we're given the full complement of who Jesus is. We don't have to, you know, wait, for, uh, for example, for Jesus' peace. When Jesus comes to us, Everything he is is offered to us. The process of sanctification is us sort of learning to develop these rhythms in our lives. So it isn't that you have to wait till year six to experience Jesus' peace. One of the things that happens in life is that the more we find trouble in our hearts, the more likely we are when we're in healthy community to, to rely on Christ and others to develop the peace of Christ that transcends all understanding. All things that are going on in the world, Philippians tells us there's a peace that can transcend that. And so discernment is sort of like, there is a gift in it, meaning some people are given discernment, like that's their number one gift. But every Christian should be able to, to discern. The way we learn to discern is by sharpening the axe. So you could take a blunt axe and hit this pole for the rest of your life, and all you do is put dents in that wood. Uh, but the more you study scripture, the more you are in accountable relationships with other people, meaningful, transparent relationships with other people, the more likely you are to see that axe home. And that's when discernment really matters. So your, your cuts are deeper. You can look into things and see things and, and really sense where there is a contradiction to the truth of Jesus, where there might even be uh, out 
And that is to be applied in every area of life, including every word that comes from the microphone out, out of my mouth. There is, there is no space in life that we should not be applying uh, spiritual discernment. So absolutely, this has given us, hopefully it's given us an opportunity to spend a little more time in Scripture. Maybe that's one of the disciplines that's been developed over these past uh, months. And that is one of the best ways, truth in community, uh, that's one of the best ways. I'm sorry, I got to split. It looks like I'm saying three things. <laughs> there are those two things right there. Real careful with fingers I use here. So, uh, so discernment, yes. One more, and then I want to just sort of wrap up with a couple of things here. One, maybe one more person that, um, uh, in, in particular to, to gathering, how has, how has our traditional method of gathering, not being able to do it the way we do it, how can that, how has that been challenging and maybe even beneficial in some ways? I think, I think it's, I think it's opened up opportunities through like, through using like Zoom and other technologies. I mean, now I, we've connected with, we're doing classes with other people throughout the country. So it's actually opened up opportunities that wouldn't have even existed or been thought of. Okay. So in case ago. you didn't hear this in the back of the room, you know, uh, Rob, what you're saying is that necessity is sort of the mother of invention. So one of the positive outcomes of this is that a lot of, a lot of churches, a lot of people have developed new communication methods. Maybe they're even more efficient than where they've been. That's a, that's a positive thing. We did learn, for example, though it's not ideal, like in our community group, we our community groups are all on Zoom or physically we work to the groups have their own sort of choice to make there. But we did learn that there are other methods that we can sort of gather with. So that's a positive effect of, of, of not being able to gather. It's created some new opportunities. Even It's even interesting watching how many people uh, you know, we're in a very transient county. Lucia is, every time one person moves here, three move away, and it usually has to do with some form of, of a opportunity for vocation. But it's been astounding watching how many people who have been with us over the years that now live in different areas of the country that were piping in on our live streams and just kind of messaging. So it's, it sort of reminded me how how broad the restoration family is, not just here in Vermont, but uh, certainly where, uh, where our people have gone since they've been with us. So, what else? What challenges or, or blessings do you think have or can come out of this disrupted time of worship? Sunday morning worship. Sharon said, um, also having church on Facebook opens up our church all over the internet. That's a comment. Yes. So somebody just commented, whomever you are, thank you, that uh, having, having worship like this is creating an opportunity for people that maybe are not comfortable being with us here to actually uh, engage in worship. So great, I mean, right, right from the internet, folks, right from the internet. What else? Do you think that this disruption might or, or should cause us to think about how we have understood weekend worship? And I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. Um, like I've, I've seen just watching the trajectory of many a church here and there, um, everybody has been fighting their hardest to get back to what they were doing. And I have felt, as many of you have in conversation, that, that it's not necessarily a bad thing to think that way, but what if one of the things that Jesus wanted us to think about is what we could be? In other words, this, this has changed things dramatically. 
And I don't think normalcy as we know it is going to return anytime soon. So do you think there really could be a benefit of us saying maybe God has opened some doors and is is pointing us in some new and groundbreaking directions? In other words, could is it just that God wants us to get back to the way it was, or could there really be that uh, there's something God is trying to teach us in, in maybe some paradigm shifts in the way the church functions? I don't know about the way the church functions, but he certainly kicked us out of the theater. Okay, <laughs> right, right. And, and I should make a distinction between um, function, uh, form and function. Uh, I don't mean ecclesiology like that the coronavirus changes what the scripture says about the church. But the expression, John, this is what you're hitting on, right? Our expression has changed dramatically, you know? Um, for one, I, it's cracking me up to see all of you doing this. Now you know my pain. Like all of you used to freeze in the movie theater, right? And I had to have them turn that up for you all. I melted there nonstop. I'm probably going to die after this does It's so hot out here for me. But it's funny. We went from like literally freezing to now you guys are over here. Because it's a, it's a Florida morning, right? So yes, every, every expression of the church is going to be different. And I have wondered if this is not God's kind way of giving us a really neat opportunity. I've got a feeling it could be those people that the Christians that proclaim they're Christians and live a life of Christianity but would not go to a church okay. or would not go to a building or be part of a group possibly because of the um, internet and that can still be part of a group without having to go to the building and all that. Like, they could either be out on their boat, boating, listening to the podcast, or yes. driving in their car, going to the grocery store, listening to the podcast, where they couldn't do that prior with their church, or a church, or whatever, because now we're doing all this streaming and all that. Yeah, so, so broaden the, yeah. the connection points yeah. um, to people who might not even feel... You, and you're speaking of this favor. Yes. There might be some people that are not comfortable walking into a church. Right. In fact, I can tell you, anytime we have a visitor, there's uh, one or two ways that, that they visit. They either are invited personally, this is the number one way, or two, they have done a thorough inspection of our website. In other words, <laughs> they have already been to worship with us. They've heard what I say, they've read our values, and they have felt comfortable enough to, to take a step from wherever they're coming from um, to, to meet with us. So this has absolutely brought in the field of mission without without question. Yes. Uh, yeah, so one thing I've noticed in my, like, religious spheres is there's kind of like a sense of, like, upper rudeness, you know? Like, this sense of, like, the early church, especially, like, you know, being on Zoom with guys, like, kind of, like, all over the country, and you're so separated, it feels like there's just this great opportunity to witness in a new way. Um, and especially, like, I go to school in Tuscaloosa, and, um, you know, like, all of our restaurants and bars are closed, and you've got all these college kids that, for, like, the first time, are just sitting at home, not doing anything. And I feel like there's a great opportunity there, and, and um, you know, I'm just interested to see how God uses that. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the general disruption of social rhythms, period, if, if we are... Um, heard me say this in the front of the room that a little intentionality goes a long way when it comes to sharing the gospel. 
And so if you're just aware of the fact that people are uh, lonely or they, they, their normal spheres of influence have been so disrupted that they feel like they might be you know, walking in an isolated world right now, there are, no matter what way you look at the prism of the gospel, there's a way to turn it um, to be able to apply hope and, and truth. And so, yeah, I, uh, there's no medical statement in this. I think this is the beginning of a new future for the church. I really do. And, and us too. And what I mean by that is not new in the sense that we're going to radically deconstruct everything and change things. But I do think if you look at the scripture, the, the greatest places and times in history where the church has flourished. And keep in mind that flourish might mean something different than the expectation we have had. Flourish, if you were to ask the average American Christian, what does it mean for a church to flourish, they would likely say, how many people are sitting in a room on Sunday? And don't get me wrong, that's an important thing to discuss. But our philosophy has always been not trying to build a big mound of salt, but to try to scatter it, no matter where it goes. Like, it says, put salt everywhere. So we want community groups in other cities. We want to be able to, I was actually talking to a friend who lives in D.C. and works, he's a senatorial lawyer, and he was calling me saying that he was having a really hard time finding a church. Uh, and I said to him, well, what if we talk to you about building one? Like, what if we were actually working in partnership with you in D.C. to start a church? That's what I mean by, by flourishing. We have to have a, a bigger imagination, I think, than the one we've been handed over the past century in our, in our country. And this is where I think, at least from my perspective, this is one of the greatest opportunities at every church, and the one I'm obviously most concerned about is, is ours, is, is not to think about how do we make it like it was, but how do we sense where God is leading us? How do we discern what our future looks like? So I want to share one verse with you, and I will mention this verse. I'm going to be talking about this verse for the next three weeks. Genesis 12, 1 through 2. I promise this is not a sermon. Don't, don't believe like we're just going to get into it. You will be out here before 4 p.m., I promise you. <laughs> Genesis 12, 1 through 2. Uh, the Lord has said to Abram, he's not Abraham yet. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I want to ask one question, and then I want to say one thing before we, we wrap up. I'll read it to you one more time. Genesis 12, 1 through 2. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I, I want to know what, maybe in a sentence, what stands out to you? What What is the truth or the uh, the nuance that sort of pops in that very short but incredibly, uh, it's not only powerful, but it's prophetic in the sense of how God has chosen to work in the lives of his people. What stands out? He said, we'll show you. In other words, it's, he's going to. It's not there yet. Okay. So it requires an amount of faith. So there's a future tense aspect to this, right? There's the idea that Abram is going somewhere, but he is not fully sure where he's going yet. Okay, excellent point. What else?
sure there was some anxiety there, as there is today, of not knowing what normalcy is going to be in the future. That's, that's probably the biggest thing that I have a concern about or questions of is what is normal going to be in the future? Okay. And, and when maybe is that going to happen? Yes. Uh, we really don't know. And boy, that's got to bring a lot of anxiety okay. into the picture. Absolutely. Think about this. Think of, think of where Abram is. And think of, think of like Genesis 22, where this guy is now like being asked to put his son Isaac on an altar. There is, uh, there is a trust level here with Abram that God, that, that he has with God and God has with him. And I think you all hit the, the big three that there's, there's a place he's to go, but it's not exactly identified yet. We, we know it's Canaan, but, but it's, it's, it's not known to him yet. There is something he must leave behind in order to make that step. And there is, there had to be. There's no way that that a transition like this, basically packing your family up and moving to an unknown future, did not at the very least create a little bit of doubt, some concern. And absolutely, I, I think these are, if there ever are legitimate reasons to, 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 to worry or to be anxious, you know, I could just pop off that verse in Matthew where, Jesus says, don't worry, you know, God, God uh, takes care of the birds in the air. That's actually very true, but the truth is we are human, and we do worry. And so I think it's pretty fair to say that for a lot of people, no matter what they're doing, there is a little bit of an in-between space for them right now. There has, there's been what, has, what life has been like up to this point, what life is going to be like, and then the actual reality of whether or not they're going to get up and take that, that next step. And this is why I think... Um, just kind of relying on what we talked about earlier with the sermon. There have been three times in the history of our church where our leadership has sensed a dramatic shift. The first was before there was even a church, okay? The days when I was like trying to convince my wife that she should be a part of restoration. It was like me and her. That was it at the beginning. And then uh, I read this verse, I'll never forget, in January of 2010 to about 17 people in my living room. And I, I shared this, that this is sort of the bedrock upon which our church would be built. It was this idea that everybody was coming from a different space and a different place in life, and that we were all about to migrate on a new journey uh, together. And we knew some of what that journey would look like, but truthfully, we knew a lot less of what that future would look like. And what absolutely happened was, Every step of the way, uh, at every time, even in the days when there were tons of worry, uh, we, we found a place to meet. We grew as a body. We were celebrating 10 years of, of health, which is amazing, as a church this year. I'll never forget the day the city called us. The, the, the city of Port Orange found out we were meeting in the movie theater. And we got a call from their office, and they said, it's not lawful for churches to meet in the movie theater, like in the pavilion. This can't happen. This was like year five. And I was like, oh, this is a problem. So I called our uh, regal rep, and you know, they have eight gazillion lawyers, and this was actually a really common thing. Apparently, uh, there is an ordinance, but because we were subletting space, and we didn't build a church there, we were able to get around it. But my point is, like, there have been so many challenges and problems, many that you know about, and some that we just don't share because we now we can do them and move on. But we've had these, these shifts in the life of our church where Genesis 12 has sort of been brought to our core. 
And one of them, if you don't know this already, you, which you probably do because we pretty much communicate in person with every partner of restoration, if you don't know here today, uh, is when we resume, we're going to get to the schedule here in a second and we'll wrap up. When we, uh, we're, we've resumed the meeting as of today, but most of you know now that we will not be returning uh, to the movie theater, and that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is practically we just can't. It's not open, and we don't know when it will be open. And we definitely need to be praying for those people, because remember, for most people that walk by that the other day just see a place that shows movies. But if you talk to the general management, which I have, um, everybody's been fired, and they just get two, two employees at each theater, and they're working at 50% of their salary. So I've heard their stories, and, and this is not just a movie theater. This has been our tabernacle for 10 years. And in that place, are people who are really struggling and hurting right now. And so there's a host of reasons why we cannot meet in that theater. But what is interesting about this is that about a year ago, we really felt like we needed to not be in the theater. And what I simply mean is, it's not that we don't love that place. I actually, I almost cried living in that place. I didn't cry very much. Um, my wife just got mad at me because I didn't cry when we got married and we had our children. And I was like, well, those are happy things. Why, why should I cry? I'm not against crying, it's just I don't know that God gave me those tear dots. But it was so sad. It was like, I, I felt a little bit of what I think Abraham might have felt, of like watching a, a group of us move. Rest, restoration is no longer in the theater, it's in my garage. If you want a tour of what our church looks like, come by my house. My garage is a fire hazard. Any kind of uh, hazard that can be put on a legal book is there right now. We are, it's packed to the hill with all of this stuff. And so the biggest reason we were we were sensing we needed a new place to meet is because of the time frames. Most of you know, you know, we're in there. We have to run out of that place so that we don't interfere with the movies. And uh, out of the blue, we uh, did some research and we talked to Sweetwater Elementary, which is a place we've been wanting to move to for quite some time. We're in the process of officially uh, contracting with them. So when we resume internal worship, in-person, in-a-building worship, uh, we will be doing it at Sweetwater Elementary. And the beauty of this there's, there's several things. I'll just share with you the great things. One is our rent is less expensive. We already have below average operating costs of the church, but it's less expensive. Two, the monies we spend actually go to the school. So we have a direct connection now with a local school, and a lot of our funds that we pay to use in facilities go to supplement uh, you know, a financially struggling school system. Three, we have an immeasurable amount of opportunity to work with faculty and staff to help families that are in need. There are things our church can do. And to, to, to show you that this is not just a naive, hey, I'm the pastor trying to pump you up thing, the, the principal of that school said to me that she had been praying and begging that God would send a church to her school the day we walked through it. And, you know, talking about the sermon and just really sensing the team of people that went through that place, that was a profound statement because there's, a, there's an acknowledgement of the good a church can do. And so our opportunity to advance our mission, and by our mission I mean to love our neighbor well, I mean there's no limit to where that can go. So there's a host of practical reasons. There's almost no setup, which means we spend less time dragging stuff around and more time doing what we like doing, and that's typically... Um, eating and talking in the foyer when you should be listening to my sermon. Right? That's how it works. I get it. We're a communal church. I, I love it. But we have less time dragging stuff around and more time being together. Uh, and perhaps the biggest reason, and by biggest I mean biggest, it is the aspect of what our, our community can become. It is, as we continue to look for a permanent
ministries, which is certainly not for you, I believe God has given us the best space that we can meet in now in this interim period. And the reason it is, is really great is because of the, the opportunity we have to advance the causes of Christ and to do that now with each other in a, in a more relaxed time frame. We, we get to hang out a little bit and we, we can actually do things on site to stuff that's not been possible for us. So most of you, I'm curious, how many of you already heard this? Just raise your hand. Okay, so most, most everybody. Um, there's a slew of other people, obviously, we've communicated this to, but we're going to continue to spread the word that when we open, uh, and by open, I mean physically in the building, we'll be there. So here is what our schedule will look like. August 9th, 16th, and the 23rd, we're going to be uh, here. Okay, that's today, next week, and the following week. We're going to do three weeks here at Practice Creek, sort of just warming, warming up, uh, letting people get comfortable with what's going on in our culture, and hopefully helping them to see that we are doing things that are uh, safe and respectable so that their confidence level is increased. Obviously, I'm super pleased with our turnout today, but this is not our whole body, as you know. So we want to provide some space for folks that might really have comorbidities or pre-existing conditions or whatever to, to, to kind of come on board when they are comfortable. All of you watching on the web right now, we, we want to expect that, but we want you to be with us as soon as you're September, uh, excuse me, August 30th, what we're going to do is we are going to move our church, and we're going to, all this will be up on our website, Facebook, this week, so you don't have to write this down, but we're going to, we're going to invite any and everybody that wants to help us take all that stuff from my garage and move it to Sweetwater. We're going to basically worship the deep on August 30th. We're going to move all of our stuff in, and then we are going to pray as a church, whoever shows up, in the same way we did the first Sunday, 10 years ago, we stood in that movie theater. I, I will never forget the prayer in front of screen nine while we were down there praying about God blessing this new venture in our world. So we're going we're gonna to move, hang out, and pray. And then the 13th will be the beginning of our time at, uh, at Sweetwater. It's what I'll call our preview times. And preview simply means uh, the first few weeks we'll likely be working cakes out. Everything is new, new systems, that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, it is our hope this, this is our calendar, this is our schedule. And barring something cataclysmic happening in our culture, um, this is the way we are headed. You open our meetings, that will then move, uh, move to school, and then we will begin meeting uh, in person. And there is ample space to spread out there. I mean, ample space to spread out. So this is where we are right now as a body. We are truly in that great space between where we've been and where we're going. Um, but I have encouraged talking to uh, a great many of you about the opportunities. There's, there's been a renewed sense of excitement about our, our next steps there. So, any questions about Sweetwater, um, I want to certainly address them. And then what we'll do is we'll pray and, and we'll, we'll wrap up. Here. But if there are any questions about what the next couple of weeks are going to look like, maybe you might as well be posting so you can, I think it actually already is posted, Abby, right? Yes, it's already up. So, I'm just sort of regurgitating what's already been put up. Yes. I'm honored you're clapping. I did not hear what you said, though. Call for a clap for God for working in this. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, God sightings. Doug and I, by text, many, a couple months ago, mentioned this to me that these are the examples of God. Showing us where we're going. Awesome. Very awesome. Any questions? Okay. 
So we're going to keep Sundays pretty informal like this over the next weeks. Um, I mean, we're not a, a very, we actually do have a pretty refined liturgy, but we're going to break from it here for a bit um, because we're basically meeting in the woods. And I think my tree time, I don't know about you. But, uh, so, so stay tuned. Uh, all of this will be broadcast on the website posted. If you have any questions about what's going on, uh, keep just let us know. We're all available. Our whole team and staff is available. Our community group leaders are available. Um, remember this, community groups are meeting throughout the week, so if, you, if you'd like to take another step in, in connecting with people, there are ways to do that. You need to let us know that. There are connection cards sitting on your tables. Just drop a name and an email or however you'd like to be um, contacted and we'll go ahead and get you connected. I also want you to know this is particularly for partners and members. Um, I'm very thankful for you all. Uh, our, you have been faithfully giving throughout these, um, these months. And our church is actually doing pretty well right now. So thank you for that. Uh, for those of you that have been mailing in uh, tithes, you can now drop them as you did in our uh, towers or continue to mail them. But I don't want to take for granted the fact that our body, while it's been in the middle of the diaspora, has, has really been uh, moving forward and doing good things. Uh, maybe not in a big group, but in the way that God has designed our natural uh, spheres of influence. So I'm very thankful for the time you've given us this morning today. And I do want to close this here in a word of prayer, and then we can mingle and uh, yeah, yeah. Father in heaven, thank you for this day and just this this first step in our the new the new leg of this journey. Uh, it's amazing that at year ten there were so many things we were thinking about and praying about, and uh, and honestly, what what we're seeing and sensing right now is perhaps one of the greatest examples, at least in my lifetime of what the book of Romans teaches us in chapter 8, verse 28, paraphrasing that, and although you don't condone bad situations, boy, God, you are the master of bringing good things out of, out of bad things. And so I am thankful that while we are still living in an upside-down society, uh, the evidence of your power and your spirit, the presence of the work of Jesus, is still prevalent. And I pray that we would never forget that the power of Christ, the work of the spirit, does not happen in abstract wings. Your work happens through our lives because you endure us. And so I pray that as we leave this place today, as we begin to take some steps towards what you are going to show us, that we would never forget the greatest message that can be spoken of or taught is not necessarily the one that we do in a morning like this, but it is the way that we carry ourselves through word and deed as we leave this place and spend the rest of our time discipling our families and, and in our workplaces or schools or wherever you take us, the light of the gospel goes with us. So I pray, Father, you give us keen insight, a discernment, that we may bless people in your name through our words and deeds as we leave this. I pray that everyone in this room would know, those listening online would know, that if they need to be blessed, if they are struggling, if there is an issue, if there is a challenge, if there's a, a question about who Jesus is or, or what he means to you, uh, we are as open and transparent as the church can be about all of these things. Please don't follow Christ alone or struggle alone without him. Reach out to somebody, and I promise you, we will discreetly and faithfully follow up with you and get you to the place that Jesus is trying to lead you. So again, we thank you for this time. I thank you for every single person in this room, this part of our family, and those not with us. Keep us safe, and God bless our steps in your name. In Jesus, we pray all